The fate of the Furious franchise is a very bright one as we dissect the fate of the Furious here on Anatomy of Movie. Welcome, movie fans. It's a big franchise. We're here to talk about it. So let's get right into it. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you can take the gas out of hosting, but you can't take the gas out of this franchise. It just, it's almost <laughs> analogous to, it just goes into the next gear. So it went to seventh gear last time. Now it's in eighth gear, and it's just going <laughs> to continue on. We have Dimitri Panos. <laughs> hey, movie fans. Uh, there's a lot of gas. That's yeah. nuts. <laughs> and we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And I'm Phil Svitek. Thank you guys, as always, for joining us. If you're perhaps a new uh, first-time viewer of the show, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, a couple of things. We will include the rundown that we use for the show in in our show notes so feel free to follow along there it's going to have some deeper things uh because we don't always get to talk about the various things you know um we might go off tangent but you can find all of our research there and secondly understand that this is very spoiler filled so if you have not seen this movie which according to the box office is highly unlikely (laughs) then uh and then then you don't want it spoiled then hold off until you see the movie sure or if you don't care then watch it but just be forewarned. Um, and as we always do, let's start with overall impressions. Ladies first. Um, I, you know, it was fun, high-octane high type of film. I've seen all of them um, for this franchise, and it's it's always fun to watch. Honestly, it's not my favorite out of the, the whole franchise, but it was fun to watch. It was long. Yeah, I felt like it was a little bit longer than it could have been, but still fun and entertaining. Yeah, uh, listen, I, they continue to defy logic, physics, gravity, and even expectations. I mean, this is the eighth movie in this, in this let's call it this universe, this franchise. And I don't know of any other franchise that I can think of <clears throat> that started to go downhill, was losing, losing audience, and it probably should have been dead. By the th- at least after the third, or you know, and then it really built back up again, mm-hmm. and and it's just it's you have to give it credit credit for that because it still entertains, um, you know. Albeit the series, to me, it may have peaked peaked in the way of I just don't know how much bigger you can go. Are like, you saying it you jumped the to. submarine? <laughs> no, it has. It didn't jump anything by peak. I'm just saying. This movie wasn't any more exciting to me than the last movie. Like, I think they've gone so big that unless you go to out of space or something, that I just don't know how much bigger you can get within this series. And, you know, where do you go after jumping a car from one building to another? Or muscle cars dragging a two-ton safe down the streets of Brazil? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now you got a sub... <laughs> You know, uh, now now they're being chased by by subs over uh, Iceland uh, on a big ice pond. It, you know, they still happen to um, entertain. And Furious Seven, like Furious Seven, had at least had the, well, it had that emotional heft of Paul Walker. Okay, so what do you do? Like, how do you come back from that? And 
I don't know. We'll, we can talk about it, but I sort of kind of feel like they're trying to almost reboot the series, but very, very slyly. Like, this one seemed to me, this was like the first movie um, within since five or four when, when Vin Diesel came back that Dominic sort of was like in the in the shadows. Although, albeit his character was very integral to the plot, this one seemed to focus a little bit more on the team and the super secret government agency headed up by Kurt Russell's Mr. Nobody uh, and his protege. And then when you have The Rock and Jason Statham, like, number one, their banter was awesome. It was hysterical. Mm. I thought they were great together. But I thought they had more screen time, too, than, than, than Vin. Like, it focused on these characters, to me anyways, a little bit more. And then you introduce Charlize Theron, to me was great. She was like a Bond villain. And she really that villain raised the stakes, I felt like like great. I thought she was great in the role. Um, you know, and then this movie it continues to deliver action. It's fun. My question is where do you go from here? Like where well, do you go from here? We'll certainly discuss that. So hold that question till the end, as they say. There you go. Um What did you I, think? I enjoyed this movie. Uh, I think a lot of those things, you know, in terms of I, I, they, they were handled well with the Paul Walker overall. I I think they they did it justice last time, and they've they've kept to that notion, um, which is nice to see. And you know what the, the the fact that they can still keep going and it entertains and slowly but surely they're they're making the ridiculous be just acceptable. You know, it works in this universe. I think the the only problem for me was sort of was the fact that there there's certain bits of information that are so tied in with the other movies that I, I would venture to say I knew about eighty percent of all the small details, mm-hmm. but then twenty percent of it I was like, uh, okay, I'll just go with it. I, you know, I'm sure they're there. I'm sure it makes sense or whatever, but I just didn't remember it. And I think as this continues, that could be a hindrance for them in a greater way because especially you know. I imagine now if someone would say you're not a fan of the franchise thus far or perhaps just kind of got into it late, if you're trying to get on board with this franchise, you're going to have a hard time if you've not seen the earlier ones. Do you think mm-hmm. so? Yeah. I, no, with this movie know. in particular, there's no way that you don't think <coughs> there's so many things that were so tied into the other stuff and that's just above your head. You're like, what? I have no idea what the hell's going on. I, I you know, to me, this is a check your keys and bring in at the door. Like, it's so high, it's so filled with so much action that the plot is, like, whatever. Like, you will, <clears throat> the mere fact that you may not get all the minutiae of various characters, to me, if, if uh, because I was talking to somebody who had never seen one of these movies, and they go, would I get it? And I'm like, yeah, I think you would. I'm like, it's almost like watching a Marvel movie <laughs> at this point. Like, if you haven't seen every single Marvel movie... Up to like you know the next Avengers coming out, it doesn't mean that that you wouldn't enjoy the next Avengers movie. You may not dive as deep into it um, had you had seen them all, but there's so much Marvel out there. That's a that's an undertaking. I've said that before. This thus far too is starting to become almost like that undertaking, but the, it's so. Like, for me, this plot is just simple. She's a Bond villain who wants to control all this information. 
and she can control the world and she can control every computer. I think that was almost the premise of Goldeneye. And then, you know, and, and then so everybody else is like, you know, the whole thing about family, it's so set up that so when Dominic turns, oh, okay, I get it. He's going rogue. He's part of the team. He's going rogue. We got to hunt him down. We got to hunt her down. Jason Statham's here. The Rock's here. Okay, they're in previous movies, but. Like, yeah, well, it's I mean, so focused well, on action. I, I think the thing is, fun. like, this one, the plot is easy, yes, but the character development, there really wasn't any. Like, no one really had arcs, more <laughs> so. Was, you have to watch the earlier films just to understand who the characters are. And I can kind of get where you're saying, Phil, is like, you may not fully understand what each character is doing and why they're doing this if you haven't seen the original. The plot, anyone can watch yeah. and understand, but the character development, no, not so much. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say in this way, like, I, I can't 100% say that someone who's never seen the movies, if they jump right into this one, that they wouldn't get it. I can't 100%. I'd be, I'd be curious to know um, from you watching or listening, comment below, and if this is your first um, foray into this franchise, what did you think of it? But I just also know, you know, there were, for me personally, moments where I was like, okay, I, I, I forget that, and it feels a little bit... I'm not as vested in this moment because I just don't have that connection. And secondly... Do you remember what any of those were? Because now I'm here... Because there were a couple of characters that sort of came in for two seconds. I was like, oh yeah, I remember them seeing in another movie, but I forget which one. You know, I I forget Luke Shaw to a degree. I mean, I I get what happened, and I know he was a big... That was a big thing, but Mm -hmm. I I forget the full specifics. And secondly, like, his relationship with... um, Is it Elena? Yeah. I, you know, because of what happened the last movie, I just kind of forgotten about any sort of Letty and, and Dom troubles. Well, there wasn't troubles. She was she 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 had come back from the she quote unquote got dead. Memories. So, yeah, well, I would say that's trouble. Well, but but it wasn't that they like it wasn't that they split up. No. Like, and and I I think um, the character you're talking about, Elena, I think she was in the one that took place uh, in Brazil. I yeah. think she was the cop. That yeah. they had, but at that point, Letty was dead to Dom um, and to the crew, uh, and I think it was at, I think it was attack. Jesus, I feel like I've, I've I know See? these movies well too much because I think it was a button at the end of it that was. movie. It was the end of five where we all realized that re- Letty is alive. That Letty is alive, and and again, these aren't movies. <laughs> here's the thing: these aren't movies that I own. So I don't repeatedly watch these movies. When they show up on the HBOs of the world, I might tune in. <laughs> but they're like, I have a good time while I'm watching them in the theater. I'll say, hey, yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> but then after that, it's like I'm on to the next whatever. Um, well, here's what I'm saying. Just, like, I, I would love to me. have a reaction. That there was one reaction in particular. <clears throat> As I watched the movie, some guy just literally screamed out, No, Don, don't do it! And I feel like that's going to be hard to more and more to replicate that sort of emotion if you don't have that time. Like, he knew that franchise inside and out. I, yes. I don't doubt it because yeah. he, he couldn't contain that emotion. He just no. had to say it. He, no. And he, he screamed. And it was amazing. I want that emotion. And I just feel it's going to be harder and harder to attain uh, that. Well, I, I can kind of believe how that would happen because, you know, every movie there's always, like, one moment where Dom... 
has his speech. It was like, family, family, family. We are a family. We are more than friends and brotherhood, blah, blah, blah. We're family. So, like, that is a, a tying, recurring theme throughout all these films. Since the first so when one. you see the movie and you see that moment when he turns his back, quote-unquote, on the family, you're like, no, don't do it, Dom. I can understand that. Was it the, was it the kissing scene? Well, I'm trying to forget because I, I remember I, when it happened. We, we saw the movie together. I I remember when it happened. I just forget. I remember hearing the guy because it was funny, um, but I forget if it was when he when Charlize Theron like you know kissed him. Um, it definitely it wasn't when was it wasn't like, in the it wasn't at the beginning no, uh, the wrecking right. ball I, I, scene. I forget exactly when. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was a great audience, by the way. <laughs> it was. It was. It absolutely was. Um, let, let's take it a step back, and then we'll, we'll hit some of these points in finer yeah. detail. Um, you know, in thinking back on it, it's interesting because based off all the research, like they didn't quite know if they were doing a next installment. But from my recollection of it, there was no doubt that they were just based on the success of the seventh one that they that they would not return to this franchise yeah yeah um, and uh neil h the you know who's been a part of the franchise since the beginning he's one of the main developers of this he says we were determined not to do it unless we could come up with an idea that's really worthy and then uh chris morgan the the writer of this film came up with the idea that don would go bad and turn against the team and then the light bulb turned on and they're like yes we have a movie so. That's a very wrestling, you know, like when someone goes heel. That's, what, that's the term. Jesus. No, it is because, like, I, I listen. At this point, you got to borrow from like just culture, you know, media and culture in general. And I, I think, yeah, I think they might have borrowed that from wrestling. Especially yeah, well, when you have yeah. the Rock, like you can, you know, they can. <clears throat> oh wow, okay, that makes sense. Have him go yeah, heel. He turns and yeah, and it it it, it makes sense. Um, Within this frame, you know, it makes sense within this universe. And, and, and let's be honest, they created a universe um, because obviously the laws of physics, the laws of our physics do not apply to the laws of the fast and furious universe physics, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like, it's gotten to a point where <clears throat> they've done it so well that you forgive it. Like, when you're dry, when you're tugging a two-ton safe behind your car and that safe is like swinging left and right and your car ain't being pulled by that the scene is so great and we've never seen it before you go okay whatever when a car jumps from one building to another sure you go oh yeah okay but it looks so great that you just forgive it when midair catches over over, over highways, over highways, <laughs> and your go. back is slammed into a windshield of a car. <laughs> like you you're go. either dead or you're paralyzed. <laughs> right, you and he walks go. away with no yeah, scratch. And you I'm just like, go, mm, yeah, okay, yeah. Like, like we bought, we've we've been conditioned, and we buy into it because it looks the excitement and the action is so well done that you just we, we forgive the Furious fan franchise. I think a lot more than say other franchises but when you have such a fan base who who's loyal and dedicated you go okay this is what i'm going into the like you're going into the movie to see that like you're expecting that this one even was a little bit less for me up until the third act um but it was you know it they they still managed to make it entertaining and this f gary gray too i thought he did a i thought he did a really good job 
I felt I felt he was more comfortable behind the camera, and this is no disrespect to James Wan. I think he was more comfortable behind the character than Wan was. Um, F. Gary Gray did a really good job. Well, he's uh, worked with some of these actors before, yeah. and mm-hmm. obviously the Italian job to me comes pretty. It's not. It's close enough in spirit um, that it, he felt more in his element. Uh, to your earlier point, in terms, of, Chris Morgan said, "I think we set up. Um, I think what we set up in eight will pay off in nine and ten. It feels like we're building to a big last showdown. Right. Um, so we're going to feel the velocity moving towards an end of something. So I, I, the reason I brought that up is because it speaks to that sort of reboot portion of it. You know, we're yeah. still continuing forward, but at the same time, we're resetting things and." You know, creating this mini trilogy within a whatever you want to get franchise. Yeah, we'll just call it a franchise. Dom just wasn't part of a lot of the conversation. You know, we we saw a lot more Rock Statham banter. We saw a lot more Kurt Russell in this movie than we did the last one. And Kurt Russell looked like he was having a blast. I I mean, I hope he was because he looked it. And then newcomer um, Scott Eastwood. With this son of a bitch looks little so nobody. much like a yeah little nobody looks so much like his dad, um, but yeah it's you know it just seems to be you know why introduce us to all this cool stuff about the agency like like you know the magic treasure room of cars like unless they're not going to you know unless they're not going to be part of, play a bigger part in the upcoming stories. Well, I think that also adds to, you know, <clears throat> Dom is arguably the the main character of this whole franchise sure. now. But the thing is is that the previous movies, I think they did a good job of setting up the characters so we know who they are. The fact that when it comes to this movie, F8 now, that we could pretty much have a whole movie based on the entourage without the main character, and you can still have a fairly entertaining film. You take out the main stars, but the rest of the stars are strong enough to have their own film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, Tyrese in particular, he was he was phenomenal in this, and I always like Ludacris. I always love you know. I love Ludacris. Ty- Tyrese's He's so chill. character was. This movie annoyed me more than he did in Fast Eight. Ludacris. Oh, no, Ludacris. I really like. He's you're right. He's so yeah. chill. But so he's chill. you know, um, I don't know. Tyrese Gibson's character was a. Little, I don't Too know. Much. He was just. He was on that thin line of uh, almost went to annoyance, um, in this go round. Where up to seven, I was like, okay, it's funny, but it was almost like mm-hmm. the jokes wearing thin, for me. Fair enough. <clears throat> I did not have that same experience. So that's all right. Mm-hmm. That's, what we're here to, that's what we're here to talk about. Um, all right, so without further ado, let's, let's break, let's start going into these story elements. Um, let, I want to talk about the idea of family. Um, we got an insight into Hobbes' family, which is interesting to see. But first and foremost, I want to talk about Dom because when the trailers came out, I thought Dom was sort of being brainwashed. And as the movie, and that was my preconceived notion going into it, and as the movie went on, you know, from the Cuba scene, I got that she sort of she Cipher had some stuff to blackmail Dom with. Um, but even then, later on, he just felt like he was being mind controlled. In particular, like that kiss between Cipher and, and him, like for all intents and purposes, Dom never had to allow that to happen. Right. It just seemed. But the reason I I, I went along with it in that moment was because I was like, oh, he really is brainwashed. 
Right. Watching that scene was like actually very awkward. As an audience member watching, it was like, nah, he's not reciprocating, and she's all controlling this situation. But uh, it's interesting you think it's brainwashed, because I didn't really think brainwashed when I saw the trailers. I thought something has to be important enough for him to go turn his back against right. his family, quote, unquote. And b- watching the relationship, and then when we soon find out about his family, X, Y, and Z, not to jump ahead. But I... It was more surprising to watch Dom still allow Cypher to do all these things to him emotionally, and he and he allowed her to get away with it. And I think that bothered me more so. Again, I just looked at it as Dom. Yeah, something serious. She had to have had something serious over him to, to, to make him turn. Um, but throughout the movies, Dom's character with his team always seemed to be, in a sense... So I always try to scheme one step ahead, and I had a feeling that he was working on something that he he was, you know. I, I just felt that <clears throat> he was he had a he had a a plan, you know. Y next mm-hmm. to his you know ready to go, and maybe a Z after that. Um, the kissing scene in particular is really funny because um, Charlize Theron described it. I think it was on. The Ellen, Ellen show as it being, oh my god, I could have done it all day. I love that scene. And Vin Diesel was like, I don't know what she's talking about. Like, I wasn't doing anything. Like, she had her mouth all over my face, and my character, like, wasn't giving, like, really giving in. If you watch the scene, and it was as you said, she was in control of, like, the whole thing where he didn't reciprocate back. And I just think that it's really funny where Shelly's just like, oh my god, for me, it was like the best. No, she so, no, she's very true. much saying it's the opposite. Right. Uh, but he had the best time of his life. You're right. Vin Diesel's <laughs> saying that Charlize had the best, best time, time of her, right. and she's like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> no, okay. It's not, you know, like, you know, if that's what he thinks like a great kiss is for this me, is for right. my man that just <laughs> stands right. there, yeah. then no. It's just awkward strike that, to watch. reverse it. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I don't want to make Charlize to be a yeah yeah. No. But she was, again, their casting is always on point. She was great. I'm like, why didn't the Broccolis ever think? Maybe, I mean, she's a it's a great Bond villain in this movie. And she was, like, ruthless, cold, you know, she, beauty, smarts, and danger. Um and it was all in one, and she was she was great. I thought I thought she was great. One of one of their better villains, if not the best villain going on. Uh, she was she was a foe that they really had to overcome. She raised the stakes. She did. She did. Um, and I certainly want to talk about her more. But uh, in discovering that Dom has a son, how did you guys take that? Again, yeah, initially, if if I had listen, if if. We'll talk about plot holes, which is a whole other avenue. I don't with this movie. I'm a lot more forgiving of plot holes, but this one was for me. It just didn't feel right the way they set it up, and then sort of the reveal that the reason why he's going along with this is because of his son, which kind of makes sense. They did, they they did sort of sprinkle in some things when Letty in Cuba is like, "Hey, I saw you, you know, looking at the father and son, and do you want to be a dad?" And he's like, "Are you pregnant?" And she's yeah, like, for- "No, but would you want to be?" Yeah. Um, so I got the, the, the they were laying those seeds, but it was an interesting it, it, it was just an interesting MacGuffin that that's what we sort of got out of this, and that was the motive behind this. 
um, because he was just so st- stoic. Sto- yeah, stoic with no emotion. That they, that may, I just wasn't reading into it. I mean, I I had a I was kind of conflicted with this type of storyline. Like I understand it's serious enough for Dom to turn his back on now that he has his own biological family that we never knew of. My problem is as an audience member who were in being introduced to the son and the quote unquote girlfriend at the time who we never really saw so we didn't have enough screen time to actually like bond with this character and attach and maybe get that emotional connection to her that when her death came upon like i sorry i didn't feel bad it sucks but like i didn't know her character enough to actually have that emotional impact so but the the idea of dom actually being a biological father and he has a son that hit me more than the why the, the girl the woman that was in his life. Um, so I was very conflicted. I was like, yeah, it, I don't think there was enough time for to build that emotional connection for it to have an impact. I mean, was it would have been enough, let me ask you, would have been enough if he just said, like, um, sorry, I have to do what I have to do? So they knew, like, okay, he's not doing it because he's and he just has to for whatever reason. They don't have to understand that reason. We don't have to understand that reason, but he's not given a choice. Let so we know that he's... I mean... It would have been it, nice to have a moment where he actually tried to maybe explain to his teams, like, it, like I have no choice. Like, he actually feels guilty about it, but he just, like, let it go and, like, no, I'm just being cold-hearted right now. In, 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 <laughs> within the elements of this movie, for him to do that, then it makes... Then the team isn't going to be trying so hard... They know that. Then, 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 then the then the jig is up. As that, we know that there's going to be a plan in place. Like if he lets the team in, then we know early on. Other than if we think that he's he's gone rogue, as they say. And the plot point I thought was fine. As far as as far as Elena, and again, it just seems that I far like I have a far better memory of these movies than I do say an Ellen interview <laughs> that I read about, but. They were a pretty big thing. Like the, their relationship was a pretty big deal. Um, but once Letty came into the scene, and I thought that it was, again, just within this universe, I thought that it was written in such a way that I was like, oh, okay, I buy it. And she stayed away because Letty's back in the picture, and she didn't tell him, and whatever. You just go along with the soap opera because that's what this is. It's a soap opera. Um, so you go along with it within the confines of, of this fear, Fast and Furious universe. Um, and I get why he doesn't tip off the team. Like, Letty and the team are still thunderstruck as to, she wouldn't do this without reason. Like, there's something going on here. You have to give him a chance. Which I think was said more than once in the movie. Like, give him a chance to do like, you know, just give him that chance. So, they knew something was up, but in order for his plot to to come to fruition, you can't let the team know, hey, something's wrong, because then they're going to be working their plot, to another plot to try to get it out and go, oh, he's going to be okay, he's going to get out of this. Like, then the whole thing with the Jason stay with Deckard's character, where we believe that he got killed, and then when he shows up again... You know, you have well, to let Dom be the, the the puppet master here, and and 
plan all this stuff out that we showed because it's almost like a caper. We see all the facts after the fact towards the end of the movie as we see, oh, this is what was going on when he was pretending to fix his car. You know, this is why. I mean, but at the same time, we sort of, I I know that we didn't get like, oh, that's what you, but the fact that we're sort of let in on the trick, like we know there is a trick. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's just. It's now you see me three. Sure. Well, the thing is, it's like, but that's the same kind of format that they've had for the previous films. Like, you always see a big thing, a big situation at the end, and then there's always that montage sequence of their exposition and how they pulled it off. And they had it in this film as well. Because near the end, not to jump ahead and stuff, when we get the explanation of that's what he was doing with Deckard, that's what he was doing with the car trick and all that. Mm -hmm. Like, they had that moment of explanation of how they pulled off the trick. So that's not new in their format. So I I was kind of expecting it because they've done it before. Yeah, I I didn't say it was new, but I'm just saying with him tipping off to the team, like what what does that do? I mean, it makes makes them be like, okay, great. How do we save Don? Mm -hmm. Without, you know, messing up what, you you know, tipping off the the bad guy that this is what we're doing and that's what he wants us to do. Yeah, we're, I think Dom was sort of kind of... This was a thing that he had to get out of himself. <clears throat> you know, get out on his own so he doesn't implicate his team at all. And make sure that at the end of the day, the team was there for him anyways. His his family was there. His family showed up. It's a little uh, contract for me, but... Yeah. I, yeah. Really? I mean, of course. We almost yeah. had the end of the world, but, you know, all good. Good to know that Dom had it all together in the end. Yeah. Of course. Uh, what did you guys do? This, again, just quick side tangent, but yeah. um, since we, we got to see Hobbs and his daughter, and, and he's sort of making that decision to shy away and retire. Um, I, th- I, th- I think so that kind of parallels with the whole family aspect. I mean, it's not just Dom and his family. It's like everyone is like have their own families too. And like, what's more important at the end of the day, I think, is just family. Um, I did love the the opening beginning dance sequence that he had his daughter scare the soccer team. That was hysterical. It wasn't needed, but it was hysterical. I think that was just more screen time for you know the comedic side of the rock. If he, I don't think it was needed, but it was funny. It sure. was good to see the girl. It was you know what yeah, I mean? it was it good to see gr- that. the girl's more screen time. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and I just it, it also showed the importance of it. I mean, I I love when um, nobody c- comes over there and and the rocks just like if you don't cheer for my girls, whatever their team name was, <laughs> I will bash your head in right. whatever he's in. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I enjoyed that part of it yeah. very much. And uh, we get to, and we at least get for that for Hobbs's character, or at least get to see a little bit more of his background, and he tries to be involved in his family life. Mm-hmm. Particularly his daughters. We so. got a lot of, if you think about it, we got a lot of different families in yeah. this movie. We mm-hmm. had Deckard's family, we had Hobbs's family, let alone Dom's family. I think just the theme of family carries throughout this whole thing. I thought that uh, Scott Eastwood's character, Little Nobody, I thought it was going to come out that Mr. Nobody's brother. <laughs> no, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was his son. I thought it was going to be revealed that it was his son. Because no, it, it, no, no. it almost had the, oh, dad, <laughs> son, you're disappointing me. But 
<laughs> I'm glad it didn't. If it went that route, I'd be like, oh, okay, great. It was just the one over the top. That would have been over the top for you. That would have that would have done it. That would have been the straw. Yeah, I would have thrown in my hat. That would- yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about developing the side characters who, you know, we, we sort sure. of hinted at the fact that they get much much more of involvement this time around. Um, and so let's talk about that. Obviously, we have um, the, the the girl from last time around that create that created uh, God Die. God Die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like her. <laughs> yeah, she's really good. Significant. She's cool. <laughs> you right. Like... <laughs> okay, it's insignificant. I mean, she she was. The, we spent like, a whole movie about it. Like, the... yeah, last film, like they really developed her character, but this one again, she was the side character who just she had her moment where she helped figure out how to track sure. down Cipher, and that was about it. Maybe she was just the pretty face amongst all of them. Well, I she, liked her. I, I, I she. I thought she was. You know, again. <sighs> She did her part, I felt, um, to an extent, and I really thought that she worked really good with um, Ludacris. Uh, Ludacris. I thought that they, I, I, like, to me, like they were they were the couple, like they were the couple. Not she's Tyrese. not going with Tyrese's character. Oh, she's not going with anyone right now because they right. can't remember her last name. <laughs> but, I, I was but, trying like, to think what her the, last the name was. The fact that like two guys are fawning over her, and I'm just like, oh, now you just degraded her to. Uh, hot piece of ass that you're you're just fighting over. I'm like, come on. She's smart, you guys. Like, why be that person where it's like, okay, who would she end up with? It's like, she why, was Ramsey. Why did it, like, just come back to, no, I just want her. Like, she's so much more than that. I was more upset at that. I was like, no, she's smart. Use her. Yeah, but, but she took it back. She, she's like, you don't know my last yeah, name, so. No, she yeah. took it back, and she said, yeah, yeah, I like both of you, but if one of you can tell me what my last name is, and I'm wondering if they ever Ramsey. dropped that. Ramsey. Yeah, maybe Ramsey is her last name. Well, that that was just her, her <clears throat> name. But. So, but I'm just wondering, like, if it was mentioned in no, the last I movie. I had, yeah, I was. It was like, if this is a quiz, I am not passing. I would pass that either. Yeah. yeah. Or like maybe <clears throat> Ramsey's isn't even her real name either, because we know in the last film, like they had to track her down too. So it could be just a different name. I just liked how the character still had something to do and she did help out and she came up with some good ideas and she hacked into when they got to uh, uh, Iceland yeah I mean that was the, an integral like, part yeah, of the, yeah. we had yeah, two things going on once. yeah we had so many things going on and she played up an integral part and I, I you know I, I you know they set up that those two guys liked her and she sort of got it but I, I still think that the Ramsey character and Natalie Emmanuel I think she had something to do I, you know she she wasn't uh necessarily just there for her good looks you know i felt mm-hmm. um what do you guys think uh speaking of scott eastwood little nobody what was his sort of purpose i mean some people i have read on online like it's it's a way to fill that paul walker role but it's not because paul was always a leader right. this guy is anything but i think it was interesting i i was having difficulty me personally watching him because he looked so much like a younger version of Paul Walker I'm like is yeah I thought that he could be a quote unquote replacement but the thing is the his character how they build him up literally by the book which we know the whole team is not so I think they just had him as the foil for everybody else because he's he's so strict and so new 
when these guys have been around for so long, you're like, no, you're not going to fit in because you either get on, like, get on board or you just get out. And I thought it was funny to have that contrast for someone so young and so green and he, so by the book. Yeah, th- for me, he was like the comedic, you know, he, he was like, yeah, he was the comedic foil to them. I, I do disagree on the point. To me, he just looks like his dad in his dad's younger years. I mean, he looks, he's got the steely eyes of Clint Eastwood. He's, I mean, it's 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 just crazy. And it's like, nobody should have to, like, ugh, it's just, you, you got everything. You, you act, you look like your dad did when he was young, and people considered him to be a very handsome man. And I'm like, that just sucks. He, you know, he, he won the sperm lottery, for crying out loud. And it's like, and now he's acting, and his movies are getting bigger and bigger. Now he's part of this franchise, and he wasn't hateable. I didn't hate him. He was sort of funny. He sort of lent his way. And at the, at the end of the day, you know, Mr. Nobody's like, you're learning. <laughs> you're finally learning something. Yeah, I like how his character came around, because you knew it was going <laughs> to yeah. build up to that point. Like, nah, he has to have a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Rule number three. There are no, no rules. rules. There are no rules. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah. Did you like the character? I mean... I didn't mind him. Uh, you know, <coughs> I certainly wouldn't compare him to Brian by any means because mm. the, the dynamic... I, I enjoyed him. I thought he was funny and, and it was funny to see a clueless per- person like that amongst this this group. Yeah. Um. But I also know, like, it's interesting reading, like, most people's criticism about this movie is his character. And I'm like, okay, well. Really? Because, so like, for me, that ca- that character, regardless of who played it, or maybe not, but that character could have gone into annoyance. Where you would have said, just dump him. But it didn't mind him being around. And it, particularly how he turned and he actually became part of the team. She helped him. Yeah, and he helped him. And he did Gave something. Gave him cards. Yeah. So... I don't know. He, again, that character can sometimes be written because we've seen this character in other movies where they set the green guy in with the professionals who's trying to tell them what to do, and that character can be almost villainous, almost like annoying. He wasn't. He, he was fun to watch. And I thought again the banter between he and Kurt Russell. I thought again really worked because oh no, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So. Well, let me let me ask you this. this so, Robert, we're, we're talking about the new characters, but what characters do you miss from the old franchise? Whether Gal Gadot, um, the character of Han, um, you know, do you feel that that uh, Brian is truly missed in this movie? Any other past characters? I did like Han. Han was great, and because I like, I just got an Asian represent. You know, <laughs> it was just really sad that there was really no Asian in this film. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Um, but I think, like, Han added, like, a, a softer type of personality amongst alpha men, which um, I also enjoyed just in character. And the fact that, like, unfortunately, yeah, he died last movie by Deckard himself, which, and that the whole fast turn, like, do we like Deckard? Because he is still a, a murderer, if you think about it. Um, I just, I missed Han. He was, yeah, I missed mm-hmm. him. <laughs> Matrix. You know, I, I, do I miss it in the Fast and Furious? Um, it's not like when Spock dies at the end of Wrath of Khan for me. I mean, well, the question he, is not even Han but, specifically, but, but no, but like, he, like Paul Walker obviously leaves an indelible hole. Okay, in fact, I actually thought it was weird because I had completely forgotten that 
the fast universe, he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Like okay. they they don't acknowledge that he's dead. There was a send off that's pretty much like a memorial to him, in oh, tribute nice. to him. But he's not dead in that universe. So when they said, "Well, why don't we just call Brian and stuff?" I was like, "But oh yeah, that's right. He's he's not dead, so to speak." So that's sort of weird to me because they in our movie world, you know, that they can always bring somebody back. Somebody will come out of retirement, but that character can't come out of retirement like ever. Um, so. That that was a little bit off putting, and, and I, you know, it's just because we know of the tragedy, um, but you also realize, man, he he actually, Paul Walker and that character of Brian, but Paul Walker himself, along with um, Vin Diesel, they really had a they had a great chemistry together. Like they, the two of them, really pushed these movies forward. And for me, it was like, I see what they're doing, and I get it, and they did a really good job, but it was, it's, it's, you, it makes you realize that Paul Walker's presence in these movies is, is, was very integral. Yeah, I mean, like, I, and I can believe that, because in the earlier films, you always had Dom and Brian, like, butt heads a lot. And, you know, you had that dynamic, but at the end of the day, they could come to that mutual agreement and respect for each other. And because we didn't really get it between those two characters in this film, I think they kind of moved that over to Deckard and Hobbs. Like, you had that butting heads perspective, and they moved it to those two characters instead of the the main two that we're used to. But But too, with the Paul Walker character, with Brian, Dom and Brian... As the movies and the stories progressed, they became family. They became, they became yeah. really good friends. You know, Brian's character went flipped to the other side of the law. And it just made me realize it's like, wow, they really built up a good bromance, let's let's call it. But they really they were brothers. Um and I and to an extent, you know, Vin Diesel, when he's doing his press tour, he always says, This is for our brother, my brother. Like he always talks to Paul Walker as him being his brother in this whole franchise. And it was just like, yeah, he, he really was uh, so integral that this movie had not been done right. Like, it could have harmed the movie. They took great pains in trying to perpetuate plot and story and let's have this move forward. Let's do something different. We know that Paul Walker is not with us other than memory and heart. And I think they did a good job at that. But when I was thinking about it, it's like, well, Brian was really integral to these plots and stories. And it was relationship-wise, I felt. So I would have to go with him. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I appreciate it. While while jarring initially to see, because I think it's Letty that says, like, no, we can't call Brian. Right. Um, While jarring initially, it was, I I thought, a good reminder of that, that, you know, he's... And in some sense, you could look at the symbolism of, like, you know, we, we can't go to him, but he's not forgotten. Right. Um, type of thing. And so. then, of course, the end. The name of the baby. Yeah. You know, so. Um, now, Gal Gadot's character, she was the one, I believe, that died at the end of six? I, she she died, I think she died in the plane explosion. She was in six, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, and she had a relationship with. Han, no, right? Maybe. 
It was either Han or Ludacris at that point. She had a relationship with someone at the team, and she died on that plane, yeah. uh, you know, the longest runway of the world. Um, but she was a good character. And, and actually, too, in that movie, when she died, you're like, huh, okay, that was bold. She's, she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forget if it was Han. She she had a relationship with somebody, but I mean Han was certainly eyeing her for a long time. Yeah. I forget the full. It might have been them but, too. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Han, you know, going back to that, because um, Mercy you had made mention of it, the fact that Deckard <laughs> killed him, and then you know, I, I think the movie is very strategic in the words that it chooses in describing the crimes of Deckard, even in jail. It makes that to be like he's misunderstood, if you will. Like, he did all these things, but he did it for country. You know what I mean? As opposed to, like, you forget the fact that he killed Han. Mm-hmm. Right. He killed our family, and now we're letting him into the family. Yeah. Um, and there's... What's interesting to me... I don't, I don't know if you had a, guys had a chance to read a couple of these articles. There's a lot of interesting articles out there um, about this and how uh, the producers and even, um, even Vin Diesel, who is one of the producers, uh, are sort of disputing why it's not insensitive. But regardless of their reasons, because as much as they may say that, ultimately, at this point, when you make a piece of art, it's for the fans to interpret. Right. How do you, where do you guys land on that? Well, I'm hearing that Han's coming back. They're going to be showcasing him in one way, shape, or form. And Mike, if if I were to theorize about Fast and the Furious, I can't believe that I'm like theorizing of various universal Fast and the Furious timeline strings, but... There may be more to Jason Statham and having to kill Han that we may not know. know about. Because I have heard that that the Han character is going to make his way back into one of these next films. I mean, if they could kill Letty and bring <clears throat> her back, they could kill Han and bring him back. Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he's coming back from the dead. They may be <laughs> do, they may do something in flashback, flashback. to flush out <laughs> Deckard's character more no. because Deckard felt like. This is the movie where he said, you don't know what I had to do. And he seemed to be under the thumb of this cypher woman, much like Dom was in this movie. But he just couldn't, he couldn't come up with that plan like Dom did. He's just not as smart as Dom. Who could be? Well, he, didn't have, he didn't have a family. He didn't have a family. Well, well he did, but she, it's you know. A, yeah, well, it was two families coming together to be yes, that cypher. That's true. Um, so what about you, Marissa? Uh, about well, you're the one who brought it up, so I want to get your opinion. Well, I mean, I I, I like Hans, but the thing is, they're building up all the other alpha males. It's okay if we didn't have Hans. Yeah, I miss him, but I don't think he is essentially like he he's not like a big enough character to like have a whole film surrounded by. It. Yeah, he'll he'd add his two cents, and that would be it. I don't think his character is big enough. To like and move any plot forward. Well, even uh, 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 what about the insensitivity of just getting rid of him? Um, well, or meaning meaning letting Deckard like, into Deckard. into our family. Well, I I think it was like yeah, it was interesting the the strategic way of getting Deckard on our side. Again, we had that big fight and right. butting heads with Hobbs and stuff. But I think the the plane sequence which we'll talk about when he's you know fighting with the baby he had a comedic side which was arguably kind of a likable side for audience to enjoy this character to watch 
and he is a stronger character than Hans is, and he is enjoyable to watch, despite the fact he is a villain, quote, turned, quote, unquote, right. good. But I, I, you do have to remember, like, the way he killed Hans sucked. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, they're, all, they're obviously taking great pains <clears throat> and making him look a little sympathetic. I think... If we're going to talk a little bit about Deckard, if I can talk about him, uh, yeah, let's talk, talk. T- talk Jason Statham in a bit. Okay. I think Jason Statham's best career move was being in the movie Spy. Okay. And, I, and I'm going to tie this in, but he, he was, was in Spy. In it was more than likable. He was, he was fucking funny. He was hysterical in Spy. Which that I think that's, that's why they added it to yeah, this film. And, and, and I think now that by doing that, that opens up his world. And putting him in, that means that he can have that kind of banter and he can have that scene with a baby and make it very entertaining. Because once you're able to make laughter is disarming. And once you're once you're the tough guy and once it, it hey, it worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. I mean, that's how like when movies like Twins come out and, and, and Kindergarten Cop, yeah. it's you know, but you can still be that action person, right? So in this movie I think that, and you know, The Rock has been doing that as well. So when you have banter going back and forth, and I swear to God, and I don't know if there's any way to prove it, but to me, the the line that got the biggest laugh was when The Rock said to Jason Statham, "I'm going to kick you in your mouth so hard that you're that you're going to need to shove your toothbrush up your ass to brush your teeth." <laughs> And then Jason Statham just starts laughing, and I have a feeling that that was a mistake, like that was a, like a, like a flub. But they kept it in there because the both of them started laughing. It's such a funny line, mm-hmm. the way that they. But what does that do? It disarms the both of those characters. They they're laughing, and then Jason Statham, you just get the sense that they're having a good time, and that they can still play the tough guy because listen, nobody fights like Jason Statham does. Too. I mean, his his hand to hand combat stuff. You just you just want to watch the guy, and that's that's all, pretty much been his entire career. And the scene with the baby that like, was amazing, it, very disarming. And then he's like, "Hey, I want you to listen to this little one." And apparently, the end that wasn't the original end of the movie or yeah. that scene. Yeah, there was, was supposed different. to be more of that baby scene. They were supposed to do a, a fast seven and and have the, he was supposed to find Dom's car. And have it jettison out of the back of that plane with the and the baby was apparently supposed to be laughing throughout the whole thing. So him with the baby, that that just brings up his likability factor. Maybe he's not the really bad villain, and maybe we'll find out that there was maybe he had no choice as to what was going on or what whatever happened in Tokyo Drift. <laughs> So I don't know, <laughs> but oh, we'll find out. Statham was sure. great. I, yeah, I mean, he his character was likable in the yeah. film, and I think that's why people were quick to allow him into the family because mm. he had that he had a comedic side, he had a likable side, but also they gave him a family in this film, so it it showed that he had a sensitive side too, a soft side that like he has a weakness, like and it brought it gave his character. It made his character more humanistic when right. you bring a family and you're like, oh, yes, mom. Uh, you know, he, it made him 
<laughs> like regress to a childlike state. Sure. You know, like <laughs> he has a weakness. Okay. And he did save Dom's baby. He saved his son. Yeah. So exactly. Dom is now probably, you know, forever indebted to him because he saved his son. And um, you know, they had those words at the end, and yeah, he's brought into this fold now. Listen, they're 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 building up a better team than the expendables. I mean, when you think about it, like, this is what this now is sort of kind of becoming. They're the team that you hire. Well, the Expendables are old, old white guys. Right. This is the young, diverse. But this is what it's sort of kind of becoming, you yeah. know? And you have divorce. You have Kurt Russell, Jason Statham and such. But you're right. Um, Jason Statham also was in the Expendables. And he had a really great turn in those features, particularly the first one. Well, they had him carry that movie. Like, Stallone yeah. was smart in the sense that he was like, listen, I'm going to do what I can, but this guy's going to carry it. Mm-hmm. So. so um, But again, I still say the best thing he did in his career was taking Spy and, like, being able to be next to, like, like Melissa McCarthy and Rose Burton and stuff. And he was funny in that movie. Mm-hmm. He was funny. So, best thing he could have done. I agree. Um, all right, so um, let's talk about some of the action pieces. Uh, what, did, what was your guys' favorite? Which one did you gravitate towards? I mean, there's so many I can sort of pick from. Um, but for me, I enjoyed the New York scene, even though, as we'll talk about, it was actually more mostly filmed in Cleveland. Cleveland! Yeah. Um, <laughs> I liked it. I liked that because, you know, it, it had me on edge of how Dom was going to get out of this. Um, and I'm glad that it, it, you know, he got out of it in the sense that he had, he did what he did, but then he had to go on foot rather than like, okay, now I've survived right. it in my car. Uh, and, and I just love, you know, even though I don't necessarily subscribe to this fear, I did like what they did with the self-driving cars yeah. and just turning them against everything. I called it World War ZX. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the zombie cars, which we have a great clip about how that was done. Um, but yeah, I like the New York scene. A lot. I, I really enjoyed the New yeah. York scene because we've seen a lot of fast cars in all these films, but we've never seen that many all at one time. <laughs> <laughs> it was great watching because it also just like added the 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 idea of technology now because we have Cypher. Like, let's now control these cars to yeah. actually do the bidding of what bad guys usually do. And we've never. I thought it was cool when, we, when we'll talk about it. Like when the cars were falling out, making it rain. I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> it's raining cars, throwing it out of the 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 buildings. It's like we haven't seen that because we've seen every film like kind of build like how do we best ourselves. Right, right, and I right, think right. this whole New York sequence I was like, wow, you can isolate the sequence and be awesome. It's just an awesome action scene. And, and they had to coordinate to such a way. I mean, we should let the clip talk. Uh, because sure, you want to play that Yeah, let's now? play the clip, and then we can talk about the clip. And it should be called Zombie Zombie Cars or zombie something. Cars. And it's a cool clip. Uh, right. It's behind the scenes. So Play it whenever you want, Anthony. Anthony's our engineer, everybody. I'm excited to see this. Anthony. Maybe he's not ready. Um. Where, where did you find this clip? every car in a two-mile radius now. There's over a thousand of them. Hack them all. One of the major strengths of our cyber terrorist cipher is hacking. It's zombie time. She has the ability to control 90% of the cars on the road. So it's a little choppy, but that's okay. Um, we're getting what we need out of it. And so, but, you know, for the people who can't watch, we've got F. Gary Gray, the director, talking about it. 
copy it over. You put it into the TriCaster. We're, see, we're doing behind the scenes <laughs> of uh, of Anatomy of a Movie for behind the scenes of a movie. <laughs> movie. All right. Well, hopefully, well, try to get it figured out, and then we'll try, we'll try to figure to... it out. But one of the things that they had to actually do is when so they 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 were launching real cars yes, they were. from buildings, okay, and they had to do it. I mean, there's physics involved because they had to trap a limousine and ins- and they had to like encircle the limousine with wrecked cars. <laughs> and so they had to figure out like launching and how to do this and figure out the weight of these cars and a lot of it was practical effect. F. Gary Gray wanted to use practical effects. So a lot of them are real cars to to an extent like or their their chassis may have been um modified in one way shape or form, but a lot of what you're seeing are, are cars like crashing into each other, flying around a corner uh, and stuff. And the way that it was directed and edited, pretty amazing when you yeah. think about it. You know? I mean, I just imagine that they watched Jumanji with the stampede of all those animals. <laughs> and were like, let's do that with cars. See, and I was thinking like World War Z. Like that scene oh, at the um, beginning when they're all running down the street and they're all like, whoa. And I have not like, seen that movie. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's why I call it World War ZX because that, like it was um, it was a cool scene, you know, going into New York and they and they wisely use their new whatever they were able to film in New York pretty well. But there are times I'm like going, I've been in New York. Those streets are never that like and there's Wide. always traffic. <laughs> Yeah, in New like going York. through Times Square. <laughs> I know, Marissa, you've never been, but if you can get through Times Square in under thirty minutes, you're good. <laughs> good. Okay. Fingers crossed. Don't let me down, Anthony. We got a lot of people <laughs> depending on you, including me. I want every. There we go. Yeah. There's over a thousand of them. Hack them all. One of the major death. strengths of our cyber terrorist cipher is hacking. It's zombie time. She has the ability to control 90% of the cards on the road. There's something great about witnessing a character taking what she wants. <laughs> it is yeah, sexy. That's great. <laughs> These zombie cars are pretty spectacular. She wreaks havoc in a way that you've never seen before. One thing I can guarantee you, no one's ready for this. You think people have this now fear of driving cars? Probably. This enormous pileup of cars. We started testing throwing cars out of this parking structure from different levels. And they each had to be on an exact timer. The motorcade just turned on seven. Make it rain. It's one thing to say. Raining cars, landing on cars. To do it was a whole other thing. You'd need a lot of skill and you need a little bit of luck. You have seven cars coming out all at once. So you have to pull these cars at an exact speed. Obviously, there's no one in them because they're about to be impaled by 3,000 pound lawn darts. <laughs> but it also makes sense for the movie because they're self driving cars. You don't need a driver, so that was nice. And also I can't the even angles. Describe to you the carnage. Yes. <laughs> So there you go. Awesome. That just was a, cool. Just <laughs> a know, little insight into it. I like lawn, what, what do they call it? Two, one, two tons of lawn dart or something? I like <laughs> the cars being referred to as lawn darts. Lawn. <laughs> um, but but it, it's a great scene. I think it's interesting because, like, I don't do math, but, like, the, the, the mechanics of actually pulling that off to have seven cars at the same, like, at time, like, perfectly timed at different <clears> angles, <throat> different speeds, and at different heights 
Like, there was a lot of physics in, you know, just pulling it off, and I think they did it well, to perfect, perfectly entrap right. a limo. Right. Well, I think that speaks to your point, you know, uh, I'll backtrack and then I'll get to where I'm going with this, but um, a lot of people, when polled, and this is critics and fans and the like, like, we'll say uh, Fast Five is their favorite within the series, including this one. Reason because even though it's sort of out there in terms of the physics, it feels more grounded and you had made the point that this one up until the third act feels relatively grounded in terms of its physics and you know when you're pulling it off and you're able to do it practically then that obviously does the physics sense. work <laughs> yeah. yeah so um so i appreciate that and and then you know the third act is interesting to me because then now you're trying to make physics work for something that's not physically possible, right? And we have we have a clip about that third act too. But yeah, I mean the, the the this scene in New York because what what was great about the New York scene is it goes on for a long time, but it's it's both within and outside of cars. So we have because there are, there's a lot of street fighting and street shooting um, that's going on with Dom hopping on top of that limo. So right. you know there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of walking, running as well. So it's not everything is within the car. And I thought that's what made this scene exciting because we're utilizing, you know, pedestrian traffic in a sense where they're outside of their cars doing whatever they have to do. And so there's foot chase and then there's the, you know, the like the, the car is just going crazy, you know. And it did make me, you know, I mean, the whole but it made me wonder, like, were all of those cars supposed to be the quote-unquote driverless cars? Or were they just hacked to a point? Because today, every single car has a computer. Mm-hmm. And so was that computer sort of kind of hacked to the point where, like, they made the car driverless? Because everybody who's getting into their or trying to get in their car looked like they were going to drive the car. And we need a button that says you're trying to go too deep. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, something along like, well, the I don't, you know, I, mean, I, mean, I, like, I just, no, like, I, I get what you're saying, but like I have seen it in other television shows and movies where that that they've they have hacked cars that have enough technology that is hackable. Yeah. Um. To to control it on your own, because we saw some some shots the drivers were in it and it was being right. taking over. So taxi, the taxi you do taxi have car. that yeah. ability to take over non-driverless. See, cars. I'm not too too deep. I'm not deep, deep, it deep, deep. It is possible. It is possible. So, I'm not saying it isn't possible, but the I fact that he's trying like, to figure it out. Well, you know, I, I, it is, yeah. I was just it, thinking, you're not like, wrong. How but. do you have like a hundred cars within the vicinity that all have that are all driverless? I was like, now some of it has to just be. I just like the line where suspend her, your disbelief. Yeah, I liked her. I like the line where her henchman goes like, "That's like over two hundred cars," and she says, <laughs> "Take all of them." Yeah. Hack them all. Hack them all. Hack them all. And again, this is where Charlize Theron, she was just like relishing this role. Oh, she was great. She was great. Like, you know, she raised the stakes. And, and, and that led to a really, really good scene. Um, seeing Vin Diesel behind his bat armor in oh S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was... It worked, but I was like, oh, dear Lord. Yeah. I was like, was, what are you doing? Like, and then I was just questioning... Like, give me the briefcase, or you're going to explode. I go, well, won't that, in effect, ruin your briefcase, too? <laughs> like, you're not going to want to blow that car up, too, are you? But that's, you know, but the scene works. 
which led to the scene of uh, the harpoons, <laughs> you know, hitting, hitting his car. Like, that was a fun See, scene, too. I think that's why I liked the New York sequence, because there were so many different beats yeah. within <clears throat> this whole sequence. You had, like, the car chases of the zombies. You had the fight scene in the street. You had the harpoons at the end, you know? You, you know, uh, like, there was, like, three different things, three to four different things within the sequence that... Again, you isolate it. It's all yeah. pretty cool. And just a lot of things happen. Yeah. And if you take out what, you know, just trying to get the football, this, mm-hmm. I think the action was big enough that it could have been, like, the finale end sequence yeah, to was, end a film. Yeah. I was like, that was big enough. How do you top that? And then, of course, yeah. they had the submarine. They do. To, to that but, point, I think you're pretty right. And I don't know if this is where you're going with it. But in terms of Iceland, I think it has those various beats however just by the sheer nature that all we're on is ice there's no visual distinction of like oh we're somewhere right. different or we're doing something different it's just a vast plane of ice and it's ongoing until 10 miles yeah, well and, and you do know that <clears throat> new york uh was actually it was embedded within the fast and furious dna because it started actually with a 1998 vibe magazine article entitled Racer X. And for those of you, Racer X, the brother of Speed Racer. But I don't think that had anything to do with this article, but it just mindless movie and cartoon trivia, uh, which chronicled a street racer in the city's <laughs> underground scene. Who knew that New York, I mean, out here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of street racing. New York, that, that might be a little bit harder. And that's when Neil Moritz snapped up the rights and got to work on reworking the premise in Los Angeles, setting the wheels in motion for the Fast and the Furious. So it's almost like things come full circle, even though a lot of it was filmed in Cleveland. Well, to that point, um, we'll, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the submarine action scene. But um, Anthony, if you will, bring up that picture, and what. This is uh, originally from Forbes, and it's uh, the, the Stats and the Furious or something like that is what the name of the article is. And it shows the differentiation of action versus racing. And where it started off, the first movies were a lot more about racing, and the action was, li- it was smaller. Ever since, we've sort of completely switched. And you know, the only racing that happens is really in Cuba. Right. And then we ain't racing at all. No, no not <laughs> at all. Not at all. Um, well, I think that's also. I mean, it's. I think it's smart on the franchise to kind of switch a genre <clears throat> because I think action. You can have so many more different action sequences that appeal to a wider demographic who would enjoy it, like girls, guys. A lot of people enjoy just action in general. When it comes to racing, that can get repetitive in some ways, and mm-hmm. like there's a certain format and formula. When you watch it, like maybe only a certain demographic can like. True. Racing. There is a little bit of action, but it's just racing. But yeah. when you throw in fighting, when you throw in car chases sure. and stuff, I think that just broadens the range of who would like this film. And I think too, it's it's upping you know the universe because it's really interesting when you when you look at movies like um, Fast and Furious, which I think the, which was the fourth one, which brings Vin Diesel back with Paul Walker. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then the movies became about great stunt work. Because I think one of the set pieces in that movie is they were hijacking, I don't know, it looked like a really long tanker truck kind of thing. And those were practical sets. Those are practical stunts. And it was, wow, like, holy cow. And then 
I forget if it was four, but I think it was five two that also uh, you'll forgive me, but it was the it was in the trailer for it. But there was a hijack scene, and it could have been four, and it ends with Dom and Brian going off a cliff oh, in the car. Into the water? <clears throat> that's yeah. five. Okay. And that scene was preceded by a very heavy action stunt scene. It was on a train. Yeah, they, they, they were right. busting cars from the train. They were busting cars from the train. And again, this was that was stunt work. That wasn't so much CG. It wasn't until <laughs> dragging a safe through Brazil that we when we're, we're, we're like really anteing up the action that a lot of CG starts to come into play. But they went from great stunt work, great stunt driving, great stunt work, people on hanging from trains or tankers. Pretty cool and exciting when you do that. Um, and then they just had to go bigger and bigger, and that's when a little more CG comes in. But as this New York clip that we... Sh- we showed you like again going back to a little bit more practical another scene that was practical too great scene it pretty much opened up our movie after cuba was the wrecking ball mm-hmm. scene that was a fun scene in berlin yeah and we have there's a we have a like a minute and a half behind the scenes on that and how that was actually come together using a wrecking ball actually. and cars well, that's why so, Anthony, you're not going to let me down. This one's not going to skip, right? <laughs> All right, he says play. it's good. He says it's good. <laughs> he's uh, he's guaranteed me. So let's go ahead and play it. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This is Berlin. We have visual, <laughs> but no audio. We're halfway right. there. All right. Well, it's not really going to quite help just seeing it. There we go. Phase two. Phase two. What's phase two? The wrecking ball sequence. Just the idea of how it sounds was was really cool to us. I even read it on the page. I'm like, how do you get a wrecking ball to smash through a bunch of cars like this? You dream it. The best crew on the earth. They'll make it happen. First thing we did was build the steel ball. We built the entire thing out of one inch steel plate. Came in at 32,000 pounds. The team Jesus does a count. It's three, two, one, split. Bounds away. Feel the weight of this huge, enormous ball going by you. Holy <laughs> shit! It was nothing left of these cars. When they hit, you got the ball going 40, you got the cars going 40, and the ball, the ball wins. <laughs> ball wins. For all those cars in the air, parts, wheels, everything else. It is definitely par for the course for Fast and Furious. That's how we do it. I love the little touch of the yeah, smiley the, the, face the on the wrecking ball. Yeah. That's uh, that's what makes it. Great. <laughs> that's what made it fun. Yeah. It's so again, they used more practical effects, and you can sort of sense the tangibility of it all. Yeah. And that's why I said the first, for me, at least the first three quarters of the first half of the movie, they seem to be playing with the world of physics. You have a wrecking ball going at forty, and and cars going forty. Yeah, the wrecking ball. Well, I think it's also you know that nice added day. fact that like it, again, it's just another big stunt that they have up their sleeve. <clears throat> you know, like every movie, they're like they have a tank. What do we right. have? And we're like, uh, we don't have the. You know, we have this. Right. And then this was like we have a wrecking ball, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we, I I, I want to hold off on talking about. The submarine just yeah. yet. Let's um, let's head somewhere completely different. Let's go to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Cuba. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff had to go into to make this happen. 
Oh my god. Yeah, who knew? I I could have told you. <laughs> I could have wow. told you, you from the get go. Going to Cuba is going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> and it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. It, it was. I, I'm amazed that they. The yeah, I'm amazed that they went through the pains to 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 do it. To be quite honest, I'm amazed at that. And whether or not you want to look at it this way, they created history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it just is what it is, and no one can claim that history. Because, t- you know, Cuba's very different, and mm-hmm. the culture is very different, and obviously they've shot in exotic places before. I don't take away from that. But, you know, just not, yeah, I, I don't know the full political relations, so I can't dive too deep into it nor will i even if i did it's not easy it's 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 a very complicated situation well, you know it was the, what it is well, let, well I, we could try to break it down number one uh no american production uh until this uh had ever been filmed uh in cuba period um so many visits there and then it, the studio executives and filmmakers had to sit down with top members of President Raul Castro's government to give them an overview of what's going on. The officials weren't familiar with the franchise, believe it or not. The Cuban officials weren't, you know, so the group returned to the U.S. to await a verdict. Um, and then even even that, once the process started, um, it gained momentum, but it would take Months of discussion, preparations, both on the ground in Cuba and the U.S., to assess the situation realistically. And that meant even shipping stuff out and getting cars and making cars and getting that done. The first of 200 U.S. film crew would arrive in the country almost four months prior to actual filming. Because that's the thing. You're not just shooting a small scene. You're shooting... A humongous right. scene. Like I know it, it gets lost in terms of the movie because of so much other set pieces later on down the line, but it's it's pretty big. Yeah. In terms of what happens. Yeah. Well, it's a big race, the Cuban Mile, using you know the cars that they did. And you said it's it's the only race in the film. Visually, it was it was great. Yeah. And again, when you talk about like many pieces of the puzzle, you had the motorcycle. Um, yeah. Like you had the guard stopping, stopping traffic, you know, ahead of these two guys. You had car fire. You had skidding. You had driving backwards while your car is on fire. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, yes. I mean, not that this would necessarily, I'm sure it would be a concern <clears throat> in the U.S. just the same. But Cuba is very particular about its history sure. as well, right? So you got to be mindful of the buildings you there's no like accidental wreckage like you can't it's all very historic um this is coming by the way from someone who's actually been to cuba (laughs) so um and you know what they they chose great locations um havana is is not that big a city but the the um, believe it or not um you can literally walk through the entire city in one day right um but in terms of the way they filmed it, the streets that they chose they were all visually very stunning and um, I'm kind of curious because when I was there, they were, they were filming moments for a movie, and I didn't look too deeply. Uh, I would have been curious to see if they were shooting some any sort of pickups for this. Yeah, because this was in um, this was some time in 
November did I go? When the hell did yeah. I go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and regarding the cars, <clears throat> they don't have these cars. Like, there was no, uh, there's a lack of readily available automotive parts that they had oh, to yeah. do. Oh, yeah, their cars here. are from 1950. They're stuck at. So the in picture, that period. the picture car department itself ended up transporting in ten Chevys, seven Fords, to prepare for the vehicular carnage that was going to happen in the race sequence. And the challenge, uh, uh, according to McCarthy, the challenge with Cuba was that we literally couldn't get anything. We had to really plan. They had to plan ahead, and they had to figure out every contingency and try to figure out what could possibly go entirely wrong and all of the different things that could go wrong and they brought in everything from car carriers tool trucks box trucks parts trucks trailers and they packed it with multiples of everything that they could consider that might go wrong so that added to the level of you know we're in this country and we have to we have to import everything in for it to work so Um, But they, you know what? They made it look beautiful. Uh, Oh, yeah. So congratulations to them. I'm excited. You know, I think think it's great for not only the movie business because now you get to shoot in various um, parts, but hopefully. um, But just also, I think it does have somewhat of a political implication, which we don't know the extent to yet. But it's, again, it's historic. Yeah. It is historic. Um, I, I liked it the the scene because it could get lost within the film because it, we see it so early on, like literally the first sequence. Um, but I liked it because it was a good setup of what the rest of the movie is: the idea of family, um, have and also befriending the guy and the uh, Dom's whole moral lesson of you know uh, what it's like to race, but also just gain respect at the end and gaining a friend. And I literally had that thought to myself. I was like, we're going to see him later on in the movie because he's going to be important. And sure enough, he was. Yeah. He because you know Don makes friends wherever he goes. And I think it was just it set the tone for what the rest of the movie is. And it sure. looked gorgeous. I love mm-hmm. the color scheme. And I hope like Cuba just looks like that <laughs> in real life. You know, it, it was just so bright and cheery and it set. Just set the movie off, and yet it still looked classically old. You know, I mean, it was like it was bright to the extent of its use of browns and yellows and such. The other thing that I thought was cool in this movie was um, instead of using a title card to say "We're in Cuba" or "We're in New York City" or whatever, the the text was like say "Over the Ocean." Mm -hmm. Like I thought that was a really good use of that. Um, so it didn't cover the screen. It didn't cover our environment at all, like, to get us in. So we saw the environment. We see where we are. I thought it was clever use of that, of using that title card. The only time I think they did that was with The Rock. And they put, like, longitude and latitude <clears throat> very purposely. Like, oh, what right. the hell is that? Right. And then you have that tight clip, and you're like, oh, is that a little girl soccer game? Got right. it. It's a joke. <laughs> um, but shall we go completely uh, from, from hot to cold and go over to ice? Iceland. Um, sure. This is, uh, <laughs> this is... This was... You know, I... I know we're going to have the clip and things like that. Um, I, in some sense, almost didn't even do research on this because it was just so mind-blowing. <laughs> um, I mean, think about it, right? Like, There's a reason why they call black ice dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. 
<laughs> Which is to say, it, I get it. you lose control of a car. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. I loved how they did have that joke in there. Like, why are you driving a Lamborghini? A Lamborghini. <laughs> you forgot your wheels? <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they established the fact they're aware of the environment that they're in. It is harder to drive, but I, um, it, was, it was cool to watch. Yeah. Though. I mean, listen, it was cool to watch. This was the part of the movie where I was like, okay, wasn't that submarine on, like, dry dock stilts? How did it get into the water? And and then and then what really, <laughs> the, the scene with the Lamborghini, mm-hmm. where it falls into the ice. <laughs> and, and Ludacris goes, hold on to your door. door. And I'm like going... Oh, good God. And they use that as a sled. Like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for all movie. And then, you know, we didn't even mention the sub. Well, <laughs> but d- the, d- and, and the torpedo. And the- I've never seen a submarine do a free willy jump. <laughs> no, no, there were- um, it wasn't in, in uh, uh, Hunt for Red October. Wasn't there a scene where where where, where the sub breaches? I've seen that movie like that? so long ago that I don't remember though. I don't remember. Maybe not through so much ice. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> it pulls an orca. Yep. Um, but we cut you off, Marissa. What were we going to say? Oh no, I, I think like this was also because we were going like kind of back and forth with the the submarine, and then the what's going on? W- then the land. What's going on with Deckard too? You know, he's, sure. oh, he's yeah, yeah, fighting. Yeah. You know, on the plane to get the baby. Um, so we, we had a lot of like jumping back and forth, which was fine. Uh, <clears> but again, what do we have in our arsenal? We have a sub. It wasn't for them, <laughs> but like that's the big thing to be afraid of. And I, I liked Cipher how she was just so like cold. And did you notice? Like, love Charlie's there, and she's gorgeous, and she's a phenomenal actress. But her character, not once did she blink. She had crazy eyes throughout the whole film. I was like, she's girl strung up on something. Yeah. But um, but I think that added to her character. I think that was a character choice of how she portrayed Cypher is that she is crazy out of her mind. Yeah, and she didn't overplay it. Because yeah. sometimes, you know, it, sometimes when a person plays a villain like that, they, they tend to be bigger than the scene, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they, they, eat up, they eat up the scene and spit it out. But she didn't. And that's what I appreciated about her performance. Um, but you're right. It, it's, again, another sequence where we had we had stuff going on in the warehouse where they had to... They had to decipher something to what were they doing? <clears throat> Why were they fighting in the warehouse? They had they to were, decode. They were taking they out the to, chip of the submarine. They were taking out the chip of so the submarine so it could be hacked. Yeah. <laughs> so and they wouldn't set off the nuclear codes. We got stuff going up in the plane, uh, you know, in her or her home base. Um and then we have stuff going on in the the the, the, the ice ocean. By the way, uh, am I crazy enough? I actually didn't mind her i didn't look at her plan as that villainous so i was like oh she wants to keep all the countries in check <laughs> oh okay well. but she's holding all the cards again it's it's just almost like a, a she, she just reminded me of a bond villain i want to have all of the knowledge and i'm going to be able to control everything mm-hmm. um and if you don't abide you know i'm going to drop cars on you or so <laughs> Or a um, plane. Or have a sub come up underneath you. Anthony, you know? do we have the uh do we have the clip ready for Iceland? It's called Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice. Here we go. Um third time's a charm. This time we'll have picture and sound. Let's try it out. Here we go. Look at that. We do. She made a Tyrese, baby. We at it again. 
Sending love from Iceland. Let's go. Riding on the ice. It's just such a great visual. We shot the whole thing on a real frozen lake. It was a perfect element to see all the snow and the fire. We had explosions galore on the ice. I'm not done big explosions. But you gotta be worried about like that cracking the ice in some way. Fire and ice. I wanted to give the audience something they've never seen before. You've just never seen it. He's right. The number of cars we were allowed to have on the ice when we first started was 10 total cars at one time. By the hmm. second week, we had 28 to 30 cars out there. Every day, <laughs> you have to have safety people drilling into the ice to see how thick and what parts you can shoot. We had snowmobiles out there. We had armored personnel carriers. A Lamborghini, a tank, Hobbs vehicle. It's pretty amazing. Why are they shooting at me? I don't know. I Maybe love the expression of their cars because it really told you test. an insight into them. Right. Other than the sub, everything is real. That's the thing that makes Fast and Furious so special. But nothing beats the real thing. <laughs> We're gonna need a bigger truck. Um, what's interesting about that and too, just seeing the behind the scenes, the fact that it was way more sunnier than what then they eventually right. did with color for it because it made it look freezing yeah and oh, yeah. not to say that it wasn't but just the way the sun and the behind the scenes stuff and the way the light reflected it seemed a lot brighter and sunnier yeah well they said that the fridge there were they actually did have frigid, frigid temperatures oh i don't doubt and that it affected everything <laughs> from the vehicle maintenance performance on ice general full throttle pace i mean you can imagine. I mean, just, I mean, just something I don't in miss Boston from all my life. I know how cold can affect a car. Yeah, I don't miss having to start I mean, a car thirty minutes before I have to go. So the three of us here also know that when it comes winter time, you have to change the the the, the your your oil grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you have to park your cars yeah. differently because yeah. of the cold. Yeah. So, uh, but it was a great scene, and again, you had so many things going on. Um, you know. The, the torpedo scene. <laughs> the rockets out of his car to to push a torpedo. I mean, again, that it's it was a cool scene. It was a fun scene. Like you, you can only buy it from the Rock, right? Yeah, and you 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 just it was hard. It's hard not to appreciate a car driven action scene like that um, because it just had so much exploding ice and the submarine chasing them and. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It's you know, it's fun stuff. It's really cool to you know see the behind the scenes, but the actual you know learning about it that a lot of them were yeah, it is practical effect. Mm-hmm. The fact that a lot of them were on cords, so they would turn at a different angle like fast. You know, when we see Dom's car jump at the end and hit the the submarine, like how they actually pulled it off, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. And Tyree, the stunt work. Yeah. Yeah, and I know Tyrese who opened up that last. Um, a little behind-the-scenes thing. So apparently, um, he he set up like for those times where like Vin Diesel wasn't in, like you know in front of the camera and such, and he was off. Uh, he actually created a lounge, uh, like a backstage lounge, so that everybody could just like chill on yeah. downtime. And he and he supplied it with food, and it was just he goes it was a way for the family to go kick back and just. Chill, have a good time, bond, and I thought that that was that was pretty cool. You don't really hear about that stuff happening, but he was like, "Yeah, I just yeah, built, well, his, I built a lounge." His his obviously <clears throat> motivation with that is that 
we're not just portraying a family. We are a family. Yeah. And yeah. If we can be a family behind the scenes, then, of course, we can be a family in the scene. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so I did appreciate that as well. Um, all right. For the sake of time, um, of course, we can go into so many depths of, of these various things. But at the same time... I don't want to be that podcast that ends up being longer than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this is a long movie, too. This movie like was two, two hours and 20 minutes, 25. Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two uh, hours, 16 minutes. Yeah. Dimitri, um, yeah. you did a lot of research on the costuming, and you have um, always that eclectic background in costuming. In costuming. So um, like can you give us a... fame. I uh, want to give us a quick rundown on uh, the, the top item stuff well, that you found. Marlene Stewart. Um, she, she, coming into this franchise, <clears throat> she had one, you know, she had worked with, she's worked with people like Michael Mann. So, uh, on Ali, and she's she done things like Night of the Museum. But with this, she actually, she wanted to honor the Fast and Furious history and acknowledge, while at the same time acknowledging the inevitable development of each character with fresh interpretation. She concentrated, she said, her artistic focus on the traitor's turn of events surrounding Dom and introducing um, Cypher. So, the super jet. It was an extension of her character and her costume, her hair, her makeup design would all all she wanted all of that to play a part in assembling that compli- that villain, which I thought was pretty cool. And from her first moment on screen in Cuba, you get a glimpse of what Cypher wants you to see, which is like that that sexy part of her. And oh, do I need help? Oh well I'm gonna yeah, I may look like the damsel in distress, but I'm going to turn the tables on you. And then how it all changes when she gets up into her ice power, into her super jet, which is really cool, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dom's cost- costuming changed. You know, he goes from being cute in Cuba, um, wearing the lighter colors. And then when he goes turncoat, it was efficient mercenary tactical wear, black. And it worked for Vin Diesel's character. I mean, you know. That stuff may not have looked. You, you would have had to have done the rock completely different, you yeah. know. Um, so I think when you think about the coloring and how that affects the character and what that symbolizes of the character, um, so much goes into the costuming like this that, as an audience, you don't you don't quite think of it that way. But everything, especially in your main characters, color is extremely important as to what it conveys about the character themselves and how they could... It just goes along with thematically of the movie. So I thought that that was really, really cool. So And Charlize loved working with her because it was, it was all... She, Charlize's character has to be rich and very fashionable. She didn't look schlubby in that no. movie yeah. at all. <clears throat> so... so. All right. Well, there you go. Um, that's great insight into the costuming. Um, in terms of the um, the sound and the music, I don't know. I don't. I don't to be honest, um, I don't. It had great music, like a great soundtrack. Like as always, I think they picked very good sounds. Um, obviously, Universal has their own sort of label as well, so they can pull a lot of artists from underneath their label. Yeah, the interesting thing about the sound, I, I feel with every you know 
um, Fast and Furious movie, I always walk out. I was like, man, I want to download the soundtrack because it'd be an awesome playlist to work out to because all the music's pretty fun and fast paced. Um, but they they actually had Brian T- Tyler who actually scored um, an orchestral part music piece of music for this film, mm-hmm. and it was. It c- Composed of 77-piece ensemble that they um, performed in the Hollywood Studio Symphony, conducted by Brian himself. So there is an actual orchestra, orchestral piece of music in this mm-hmm. film. Like score, sure. And they always relied on their source music or their, you know, not, not orchestral. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always, uh, there's always been that thump of, uh, I don't even know what you call that. It's not exactly EDM music, but... It's not exactly just rap either. Yeah, <clears throat> but, but I, I think you know, the use so. of music was also great, especially during Deckard's fight scene <laughs> on oh, playing yeah. with the baby. We had the, you kept cutting back and forth from fighting to the fun, light-hearted song that yes. he's having the baby listen yeah. to. I thought that was a good mixing of, yeah. of music. I agree. They did, as always, they did a very good job. And so. sound design. I mean, number one, you know, I I don't know where you where, where did you see the movie. What theater? Did you, see it in, did you AMC. see it in IMAX or anything? No. You know, the IMAX, of course, <clears throat> you've got like the Dolby Atmos sound, and the sound design is it's so surrounding that a scene where cars are being launched from a building, uh, they sound like they're literally falling 360 degrees around you, and, and the, the, the Iceland scene with the, with, the, with the sub coming up and explosions, you know. The sound design, of course, uh, is, is, was, was just spectacular in that kind of an environment. I mean, these movies have come to the point where they're meant to be you know, watched on the big screen. You know, you, you'll lose a lot if you wait to see it, you know, unless you have your, your own iPhone. screening room on your iPhone. Oh, you'll, right. I don't care uh, how good those wireless headphones are. Um. In terms of promotion, I I want to ask you guys one thing. Uh, do you think the trailers gave away too much? And especially in the sense that the third act, I thought, you know, if you sort of break it down, there's enough action to pull from to make it engaging that you don't even have to pull stuff from the third act. And then once you get to it, it could be like, oh, my God. Right. I mean, I watched the the trailer a few times, and I was like, it didn't really spoil anything for me, other than the fact that you know you had the that whole moral problem of you know going against your family. But right. honestly, didn't spoil the action for me because I didn't see the, the zombie sequence from the New York getting spoiled. I didn't see all the submarines and what happened with it being spoiled for me. It was like you knew it was going to be high octane explosions here and there, but you didn't know how it led up to it. Yeah, in the you trailers. know, to, to- Marissa, to your point, I think what's brilliant about it is is that because these scenes that we were talking about are so big, right? So what they're showing us in the trailer is not the best. Like, they're not giving us the best parts in the trailer to, to bait and switch us to go into the movie. We'll see that in the trailer. And it's a great scene to be in a trailer. But when you see the movie, there's even more. <laughs> you know, there's even more of that stuff that really, you know, it gets you. Like the trailers and the marketing for these movies has been great. <clears throat> they show you some great stunt work and what's going to happen. Uh, so they're, they're not giving away. They're not showing their hand. Like they, they show their hand to, a, to an extent, but they're not showing you the best parts of what's to come. 
So we see a sub exploding from the ice. Oh my god, we're going to need a bigger truck. But there's more to that scene too. So they save the best for when you, you know, when you buy that ticket, which is how it should be. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of uh, audiences and and whatnot, yeah. <laughs> It just seems like anytime there's another blockbuster, there's some record inevitably about to be broken. And certainly, The Fate of the Furious broke some records here. Um, It beat out Star Wars The Force Awakens in terms of um, in terms of global global opening. Global. Yeah, Yeah. international. It was huge. This movie was huge internationally. Um, so it beat, beat out Star Wars Force Awakens, which had f- um, 529 million. Beat out um, Jurassic World, which was uh, 525. Um, this one came in at 532 worldwide mm-hmm. opening weekend, um, which was way above initial projections. Which, like, I'm not really surprised too, because if you think about this film, it is very international. They're traveling all over the world in this film. Well, to be fair to Star Wars Force Awakens, at that point, it didn't, hadn't opened up in a Chinese market. True. Yeah. So, um, who knows what that c- could have done. So, it is interesting in that way that you have to also account for all the territories it actually opened up in. Well, which it opened up in a lot. And let's look at it this way, too, from a foreign standpoint. Excuse me. Um, it, it's, 80, you know, as of uh, the 20th, eh, the foreign... Gross is eighty one percent of the worldwide gross at five hundred and sixty five million. Where currently the domestic gross is at one twenty four. Now, I found it very interesting. Um, again, this we I think we talked about this last week. Um, for when we talked about going in style, we talked about the difference between reporting your Sunday number and and the actual number which is released on Monday. Um, with Fate of the Furious, <clears throat> it was reported on Sunday that the movie was uh, $102 million. That's what, that's what Universal went out with as their gross, as their estimated gross. I'm sorry. Estimate being the, the key word here. So it's like, number one, it cracks uh, the $100 million mark, $102 million, which is still a little bit lower than the last one. Um, but... Universal gets to on Sunday say our movie grossed over 100 million a little over 100 million dollars. Well, Monday comes along and we find out that the actual opening weekend gross was 98 million dollars. Now, don't get me wrong, don't mis- don't misunderstand me. That's still a decent gross. That's a very good gross. Um the other interesting thing to note though, however, is the movie was opened on Easter weekend, okay? So Here's the thing. It's it's sort of twofold. Number one, that's an amazing gross for Easter weekend. Why is that an amazing gross for Easter weekend, you might be wondering? Well, because Easter weekend is not typically, typically the best weekend. Out. Well, it's not a weekend that you would release a big movie or a movie. It's a tough weekend because it's Easter. Many, many, many Catholics, many folks who have faith, religion... Good Friday and Holy Saturday, <clears throat> particularly the evenings of those days, people ain't going to the movies. They're going to church. They're going to church as a group. They're going to church as a family. They're not going to the movies, right? And Easter, unlike Christmas and or Thanksgiving, when you're having your Easter get-together, like you fasted, you're eating. You're with the family. You're not going to the movies. You might be at a park, 
but movie watching is not A-list like it is on, say, Christmas Day. So a movie already has things going up against it um, if they're releasing on Easter weekend. And I was a little bit surprised. I mean, it felt to me that Universal said, you know what? We have a movie we're still going to do really good, regardless that it's Easter. But I was wondering, geez, if you weren't on Easter weekend... Could you have done 110 million? Might you have done, might you actually hit that 100 million number domestically? Um, so to me, it was a very interesting choice. They knew that they have a juggernaut. Um, it didn't necessarily come in at 100 million, but the mere fact that it did what it did and on Easter weekend really does go to show you the strengths of, you know, the movie fandom. Well, I, I, you know, I can't 100% speak to that, but from what they are saying, is the fact that they always knew that it was going to make a little bit less than the seventh movie just simply because of the Paul Walker situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Marissa, what's your take on that? Is it just hyperbole on their part just to hedge and, their bets, or they, they legitimately thought that? I mean, it has two completely different impacts for if you're going to compare it to Furious 7 compared to this one. I think that one, everyone's going to go for 7 for the sentiment sentimentality sake of Paul Walker and and like and granted seven was a very solid film just in and of itself so people are going I felt people are going in for more for a different reason for seven compared to this one is just like strictly action and a fun movie whereas seven had a different emotional attachment sure and and loyalty to that film absolutely so and but obviously both the you know straight up action also just works for you know getting the the money and butts in the seats too. Absolutely, and you know Phil, you mentioned China. Okay, China had a record shattering one hundred ninety two one point one million dollars was made in China uh, for that opening weekend. Um, so and the you know final numbers as I said they they they've slightly varied. Um, which showed the film earning 102 million domestically, 432 overseas for a global of 5 uh, 132.5. But then we come to find out that domestically it actually was like 98. So, but it's interesting to note too. And again, I think part of it is what we're saying: the Paul Walker effect in North America. Fate came in 30 percent. That's a that's a hefty amount. 30 percent behind the 147.2 million debut of Furious 7. So, you know, and that release was delayed until April 2015. Um, I forget if, I don't recall that it was Easter weekend. For no, that. I'm pretty sure it was. <clears throat> but, you know, the, you know the, the, this article is saying that it's sort of unfair. To your point, there was this emotional thing with Paul Walker. There were people that went to see, 7 was their very first Fast and Furious movie in a theater because of Paul Walker. So they had this built-in, I mean, no disrespect, but they had this built-in publicity, so to speak, to help drive. And you know what? Universal did a fantastic job because nothing that they did to promote Fast 7 was disrespectful. It was all in honor of. And they continue that trend in this movie, too. So um, now the fan base, they're also saying is aging in North America. Moviegoers under the age of 25 made up 50% of Furious 8's audience compared with 64% for Furious 7 and 54% for Furious 6. So in moviegoers between 
Ages of 13 and 17 made up just 14% of ticket buyers compared with 17% of Furious 7. And again, I still think that there's a little Paul Walker effect. And maybe right. Easter, too, you know, but, but the Paul Walker effect. you got to remember, Paul Walker, he's had a big career, you know, even before the the Fast and Furious movies. So I think Paul Walker does, his effect touched a lot of different demographics that would be loyal to just watching his films. Right. Compared to the younger millennial generation who probably didn't grow up with Paul Walker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then according to Comscore's exit polling service post-track, okay, um, the Fast and Furious has long been heralded for its diverse cast, always has. Furious 8 played to audience of all ethnicities. Uh, it says in a big way, domestically, Caucasians made up 41% of the audience, followed by Hispanics, who made up 26%, African Americans, 21%, Asians, 11%, and Native American or other with 3%. The diversity also continued to pay off overseas with the globe trotting storyline about. Charlize Theron. So that was really huge. And then, of course, you got Dwayne Johnson. You have Jason Statham. They're really big overseas as well. So that plays into that. So it's really fascinating as to there's a little bit of a seesawing going on, but I don't think it's anything that Universal is going to be like, oh, we dropped 30%. They knew what they had with Furious 7. Now, they're on their way to retooling, so to speak, and uh, it'll be up to them to where we go. They'll be just you know? fine. <laughs> I think I'm so. I'm not worried about them. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, interesting. So, Cinema Score A, that's a big score. Yes, it is. That's a big score. <clears throat> um, Rotten Tomatoes, fresh, but uh, coming in at around 66 last time I checked. Yeah. Uh, audience is 82, though. Mm-hmm. Audience is 82. That's pretty high for the audience. So uh, doing doing overall pretty well. The and that's without Paul Walker too. Yeah. So that's a big feat when you think about it. You know that that's because A is what you hope for, and that means people are going to like it for the second weekend and such. So oh, it's going to beat out every movie this weekend. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I, it'll have legs. Um, I think it'll do quite a bit. You know, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't come out what for. It's still May fifth, so, so we have two weeks. Two weeks before the next big hit comes out, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's nothing in between now and Guardians. No, so um, so it's got some lead time, and it had a, you know um, production budget was two hundred and fifty million. Oh, sometimes I get dizzy thinking about that, but considering what they've done worldwide, yeah, yeah. they're okay. They That'll definitely right. used every penny of that. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, you know it has. To, well, obviously, it's F. Gary Gray's biggest budget, um, you know. But I thought he did a really good job. It'll be interesting to see if they ask him back, or or if they're just going to do the. They're just going to try to get different directors for the next. Last, I would like to see him continue on. I think, you know, he's always been a sort of a hired gun, but he's done fantastic with all of his stuff, and um, I think he understands this world. Yeah. I mean, the Italian job, for all intents and purposes, was a family. Sure. Yeah. I know, absolutely. And that was a good movie, that too. That was a really good movie. Despite it, it was br- a remake. It brought Mini into... <laughs> everybody yeah. wanted to buy Minis after watching uh, the the Italian job. And I agree with you, Phil. I think that he, he gets it. And again, I, I'm not... No disrespect to James Wan. 
I think coming into the foray of having a ton of money and, and having to work with a studio in a different way than when he's making a Conjuring film, you know, working with Blumhouse and such, you know, I think F. Gary Gray, he gets it. He's worked with these actors before. He understands, and I'm not, James Wan understands spectacular. I mean, we had some great sequences in that. Don't get me wrong. But I really think that yeah, even in the clips, too, he seemed very excited about this. And uh, it would be interesting to see if they keep him on board to, to finish yeah. out this this series. And you also have, like, from James's perspective, like, think about it. Like, what director is prepared to have gone through the loss of one of the I mean, major right. characters? It's so much going on, too. Right. You know what I mean? Just to be able to complete that and just be like, okay, I, I didn't ruin this. Agreed. Agreed. Like... Yeah, yeah. it's a win. Away. No, it's a win. It's it it's a win. It's a win yeah. for him, and it's a win for the franchise too. Yeah, huge obviously. Win. So, uh, you know, but F. Gary Gray did a really capable job. You know, the other great thing about it is, even though the the director may change, most everybody else is the same. And I'm not just talking about the cast. I'm talking about the like that rats of speed. Yeah, they're they've all been working on these fast movies for a long time, so they get it. Um, I mean, it's like I a TV show at this point. Because I mean, <laughs> most TV shows, they'll keep the same crew overall. The really? only thing that, like, the, the director will change. Absolutely. And, but, you know, it's, you know, you bring a little bit of difference into it, but you can't really overall tell. No. <laughs> yeah. so, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Um, and I like, I, I really like their uh, furious pace, if you will, of doing um, one, a new movie every two years. Mm-hmm. For the for what they're trying to accomplish, that's yeah, I mean, an undertaking. It's it's not overwhelming like the Marvel movies are just pumping out multiple movies or like just the comic movies. Not to like bash them or anything, and no disrespect to them, but it it doesn't feel oversaturated, you know. With when they're just pumping out movies right. just to make money, it's not. It doesn't feel like that right. with this franchise. Yeah. And it does make money, but it it seems like they do it for fun. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, Vin Diesel too. I can tell you from experience is that another thing that they did with this movie that they hadn't done with the other ones is they actually, as a surprise, they actually screened this at CinemaCon, which is a huge. Um, exhibitor convention that takes place once a year, usually around March or April up in Las Vegas. And it's um, it's designed for the exhibitor. Um, it was originally, it's designed so that they can uh, uh, see the latest in theater technology, whether it be uh, speakers, seats, or, or the latest and greatest in popcorn machines and such. And it's also a good point where the studios began to get involved because, we, hey, we got all the exhibitors in one place, we can go up and, and show our wares. We can set up a lot of meetings, talk about this. But then they decide, because we're in Vegas, too, we can do big shows. We can put on a show, a song and dance, so to speak. <clears throat> and they usually, uh, uh, now that it takes place at Caesar's Palace, and they have presentations in the Celine Dion Coliseum. And then, you know, in so they theater. showed this film? Yeah. They, Vin Diesel came out. He's been coming out most every year, like promoting Fast and the Furious, and he'll come out with cast. Paul Walker's been there. And um, this year, he came out with some cast, uh, and he showed the film. He goes, At, don't leave your seats, we're going to show you Fast, uh, Fate of the Furious. Which is a bold move, but that also means that Universal, Vin, and company had great... Um, uh, they felt really solid about this movie, because you don't want to show a movie to all of your exhibitors 
and have it suck because that'll change the plan for opening up that movie. So if you're showing in a convention of that size two exhibitors who who more or less have the fate of your movie and to how they hey. book it, <laughs> I, pun intended, you know, the faders and literally those people, they decide as to how many screens, the locations of screens, the locations that they're going to put it in. And if they think that a movie is going to be a stinker, that changes everything. If you're going to showcase your movie, you have to have the goods. And obviously Universal and Vin Diesel felt that they had the goods. And it proved everybody right. There you go. All right. Well, I think that's about all we have time to cover today, or certainly at least everything that I want to cover today. Mm -hmm. Um, Any final thoughts before we we, uh, drive on out of here? Marissa. Um, it was a fun film. I think, you know, it, for what they had moving on past a loss of a major character, I think they came back with a solid film that people will still enjoy. And it showcases all the characters that we already know and love. So I, I think overall the film was very solid. Yeah. It just continues to entertain, you know. And that that's what we need right now. So it continues to give people... You know, a, a, a nice, a good distraction, a fun distraction in any case. Literally park your brain at the door. Uh, you'll have a good time. And that's what it's been able to maintain. And I'm quite, uh, you have to be impressed by that. Being the eighth movie and going, how does this happen? They do I would job. love to see a Lego Furious movie. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would just... Just no physics involved whatsoever. Well, the Lego... Imagine if they made a, a Lego Fast and Furious video game. <laughs> the mm. cars crash. Can you imagine the super builders building so many different cars all at once? That would be oh amazing. <laughs> be uh, that's on my wish list. But uh, in reality, yeah, I, you know, it's not the greatest movies ever made, but the fact regardless they've made history like i don't i can't think of any franchise that's come this close what do you mean as Cuba? far as eight movies James and still bond it's a little bit different but they're not serialized but, no you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and they they reboot in their own way sure. this isn't really rebooted and you know what i mean you could well, fifth one rebooted they changed they went from car racing to capers you know, they I mean, did, they've but done not, a but, smart way in reinvigorating and making it not seem tired. You brought up the point earlier about it's not just about the car racing. We have to add more. And they've done a very smart way in giving more and making them bigger than what they... If you watch this movie and then go back to watch the original movie, the original movie... No, it's completely different. Paul Walker's a cop trying to bust Toretto for not only street racing, but I think like... Stealing CDs. Stealing the, yeah. yeah. Which is literally right. So, you know, they've changed. So 2000. Yeah, they so changed, but they did it in a very smart way. And, uh, you know, hey, Vin Diesel makes his bones about it. And they have an attraction at Universal. Mm -hmm. It's big. It is. It absolutely is so. And and I'm still on board. I haven't uh, let go of that car yet. I'm not ready to jump out. Neither. (laughs) Uh, So it's been fun. It's been fun. I jump out and no one would catch me. Just saying. Listen, no one, no one caught Tyrese. Uh, anyway, thank you guys for joining us. As there's so many other avenues and you know, small, whatever we can go down dead end alleys, other alleys. There's all these roads we could have taken. 
Um, however, we chose the road that we did. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't comment. Let us know what you thought of the movies. You know whether or not we discussed it. We even go deeper. If we didn't discuss it, by all means, introduce the topic, and we'll, we'll start it in the comment section and continue it there. That's what makes this fun. That's what makes movies such as this fun. There's so many things to discuss. Um, that the conversation can go on and on uh, in that way, and that's what makes it enriching. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. fun to share enthusiasm, too. Speaking of you sharing, uh, you can share with Dimitri at DMovie1701. Please do. At Serafini TV. That's right. And uh, at The Popcorn Talk and at Movie Anatomy specifically. Marissa's been uh, slowly but surely upping our our presence on our social, social media, media games slowly but surely <laughs> we're too busy we're too busy actually doing research and things like that to necessarily put in the time on social media but I, I, we do read you the comments we don't uh we don't knock it in that sort of way we love when you guys comment and things like that so please continue do. to do so please. it's been a lot of fun it means a lot um if you want to hit reverse we have a lot of shows in the anatomy of a movie archive. In fact, we do have Furious 7 in the archive, so definitely check that out. And I think we did Furious 5. I think we did 5, did 6, and 7. I think so. I think I remember talking about Furious 5. Yeah, that might mm, be a lie. No. No. But, no. If we well, did, great. If we did, when did Furious 5 come out? Too like long 2010. ago. 2010. Well, we started we this. When did Pacific Rim no, come out? 2013. Oh. Uh, maybe not. We weren't around. What were you talking about? Uh, I, well, I talked about it, but nobody listened. You talked Furious 6 and 7. Um, so there you go. Uh, and tons of other movies. And uh, if you want to hit the, the gears forward, we've got uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Baby Driver, Alien, Alien, Covenant. We've got tons of stuff coming up. Heck, we've got Furious 9 coming out when it comes out. So, <laughs> we'll be doing them all. Um, and plenty of other shows to check out here on Popcorn Talk. So, um, you know, the, the adventure continues. So, we'll see you next time on another Anatomy of Movie. Bye. Phil Svitek and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.